All right, praise God. Um, like Pastor said, we're all still here. Um, amen. And uh, it's, I, it, it makes you wonder the the folks that like to go out and make these kind of predictions. It kind of makes you wonder. Um, What's behind all of that? You know, why, why do they go out and they feel like they can tell the world when the world is going to end and they falsely um, try to pull scripture to back up their claims and then it never happens and then you wait a while and they all kind of go quiet. You never hear about them again and next you know something else just pops up and then here they come again saying, oh my gosh, here's all the mathematics behind this and this is why the world's going to end. It just kind of makes you wonder why do, why do people do those, do those kind of things? Um, you guys know that I'm a sports guy, so uh, last week, you know, after, after church, went home and watched a couple of games and uh, watched my favorite team play, of course. Um, and they just weren't, I don't know what it was, they just didn't seem like they were into the game, despite looking very nice the, the, the week before and being able to win. This time, the players just didn't seem like they were, they were really into it. Um, and it, it just kind of made me step back and just wonder, you know, what was their motivation coming out onto the field? Um, as, a, as someone that, that's played sports, you know, just about their entire life there. One thing that drove us crazy um, in, in the sports sports arena is whenever your teammates didn't give all their effort. If it seemed like that all they wanted was the the, the kudos and the praise behind being being an athlete and being able to wear certain colors and a uniform and all of that, and have everybody in the crowd just oohing and eyeing every time they 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 they, they were seen, um, and it showed me that those kind of folks they just didn't have the right motivation. So today we're actually going to talk talk about what does it mean to be motivated from a godly perspective so what is our godly motivation for 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 being a christian you know there's a time there's times we wake up in the morning and especially on these nice cool mornings you know when it's nice and cool outside and if you got the windows open in the house that alarm goes off and you're just like oh if i can just get another hour or two of sleep that would be nice and you just want to roll under the big blanket and just go to sleep and it might be because it's comfortable you know it feels nice but it also could be that um, as a christian when you know the enemy he's coming against you, maybe you think that tucking your head back under the pillow is going to keep the problem from, from, from happening. It's going to keep the enemy from stepping up his attacks when that's not the case. So we've got to find something internally, something we've got to dig deep down inside to be able to jump out of bed and get excited about whatever it is that the day is going to bring. It doesn't matter if it's a problem. It doesn't matter if it's a, a particular individual that you don't want to see. You've got to have that motivation somewhere, and we've got to figure out how do we get that motivation to, to do God. God's will, so that we can get out of bed and tackle whatever issues uh, may come out uh, may come our way. So to follow Christ and to do God's will um, and making sure that we have the right motivation, we're going to focus today on motivation and three main things as it comes to as it relates to motivation. The first one is going to be able to recognize good intent versus evil intent. So when you think about these false prophecies that happen, you know what's the intent behind those? We're going to also talk about doing God's will no matter what others think, and then separating yourself from the world to be able to do God's will. So starting with recognizing good intent versus Versus evil intent. Let's turn to Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight, and we're going to start in verse number nine. And I'll wait for everyone to get there. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, 
who, practiced, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. To whom they, gave, they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed, uh, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Before we go any further, I want to talk a little bit about um, sorceries and being astonished and, and, all, of, and all of those things. Uh, there are Christians out there uh, that really believe that the occult, occult practices, witchcraft, Wiccans, warlocks, all of those things, they don't actually exist. That it's just something in some made-up movie that somebody dreamed up in, in Hollywood. And they don't actually believe that people actually go out and practice sorcery. They think that the occult is simply just a bunch of people that get together behind closed doors. And all they do is just talk about things that they don't want to share. And they say, oh, well, it's, it must be, that's, an, that's a cult. But in the reality of it is that there are people out there that do get into practicing witchcraft and they do get in, into spells and it's not just something that is, is seems like it's, it's a you see like in a little cute cartoon or in some sort of movie somewhere but this stuff is actually real. Now I know this is not October and you know this is not the Halloween month if you will but there are Christians out there that do celebrate Halloween and don't understand the dangers that they're getting themselves into by doing that okay and if you I won't get into the history of Halloween or anything like that but you can Go online and look at where where that all stemmed from. But the people that really, really, really believe in Halloween or they're practicing witchcraft and those things, they are offended by those that actually t- turn that day into some sort of cute day where you go around trick or treating and getting candy and you start dressing people up um, in, in various wardrobes because to them that's a very very serious time and where anyone that's practicing witchcraft around the world they get together on that day to celebrate. Demonic, demonic activities. So it's important that you don't mess around, or, or, you, or you, or you don't believe that 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 a dabbling in the occult and getting in the witchcraft doesn't exist, because it is. It does exist, and it's absolutely real. And if the devil could get you, get you to think that it's not real then he's got you, okay? Because as soon as you think that it doesn't exist, then you start messing around in things that you shouldn't be messing around with, and then you start opening up the door for all sorts of havoc to get wreaked in, to, for the devil to wreak all sorts of havoc in your life. There's tons of TV shows out there, and we're talking about spiritual warfare and Bible study, but there's tons of TV shows out there that talk about um, ghosts, you know, hunting ghosts in your house, and people are saying, oh, I've got something that's going to bump in the night in my home, and I need this special investigators to come in and figure out what's what and they start setting up all these cameras and they're trying to catch something on 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 camera so they can say oh yeah look my my house is haunted you don't want to go around messing around doing that because if you ever watch any of those shows what you'll see is that it always starts with somebody in that household that opened up the door okay they got a little too curious about what's happening in the spirit world and the bible talks about um, being careful with that, and they got a little bit too curious in trying to interact with the spirit world, and they end up um, inadvertently opening up a door for a demon to get in there and start wreaking havoc throughout that in, in that entire household. Now, it's one thing to 
to, to read the Bible. And it's one thing to, to learn about spiritual warfare from the perspective of trying to understand how the enemy operates so you know how to pray and how you know how to trust God. But it's a whole other ballgame when you get in there and you start talking about, I actually want to have an interaction with someone or something in the, in the, in the spirit world. So you can end up opening, um, opening doors that you don't want to open, that you don't want to open, okay? So here we see... Um, that Simon was practicing uh, witchcraft, and people were all amazed about all these things that all these things that, that he was done. He's he's done. Okay, um, do, let's do verse thirteen again. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them, who, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw through the laying on of, hand, uh, through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Underline, he offered them money. He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands, I may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perished with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor uh, portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Underline that. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. We all know... Somebody or a group of people that will come to church, read the word of God, get a good word, but then their motivation is not to do what God intends them to do. They will go out there and they will make claims. I mean, we see people just, what, last week saying that the world was going to end. And if they actually really read the, the, word, the word of God, they would know that no man actually knows when the world is going to, quote, unquote, come to an end and when Jesus is going to return. But you have people that will read the Bible and they will study it from a secular perspective. And then they will go out there and they'll say, well, I'm a prophet, I'm a preacher, I'm this and I'm that. And they'll go out and they'll start leading people, leading people astray, okay? There are some churches... And I'm not bashing mega churches or anything like that because there are some Holy Spirit filled mega churches that are out there. But there are some churches that are only in existence because they were developed because people had a need. They will walk around and they'll say, you know, you've got this problem. I know of a place that you can go to where you can get your problems resolved. Why don't you come over to my church and, and we'll, we'll help you out there. And they start recruiting people and people start saying, oh yeah, I've got you know, financial issues, I've got marital issues, I've got this and I've got that. And what they do is they start selling them a bill of goods, so to speak, just to get people in the congregation. Instead of saying, I know of somebody that can help you with your problems being Jesus and being God. If you come to church, you'll be able to learn about Jesus, you'll be able to learn about God, you'll be able to get spiritual spiritually fed versus oh just come to me so I can actually get some get some money that's having evil intent if you're marketing if you will um, how God can help you and how Jesus can help you and you start inviting people to Bible study and, and coming coming to church that's good intent because what you're saying is that this church is not going to solve your problems I as a man I'm not going to solve your problems but if you want to learn about God who can solve all of your problems we teach 
this in, in a church setting, okay? So there are some churches out there, and that's why it's important to really understand and, and to really focus on God, because there are some churches out there that are just pulling people in just so that they can make money, okay? They're not actually doing God's will and actually trying to deliver, uh, deliver God's message. And so from that perspective, their heart is not right uh, in the sight of God, okay? So let's read uh, verse 21 again. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, uh, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you, you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages uh, of the Samaritans, of the Samaritans. Okay. So again, the evil intent there was the fact that Simon wanted to to purchase. Okay, he wanted to buy this this, this gift of of uh, of God, and God's gift is not for sale. Okay, you can't buy God's blessings. All right, that's not how that's not how we operate. Because if that was the case, um, the people that have the most money in the world would have the most spiritual blessings. If you if you look at it from that perspective, so God is not for sale. God looks at your heart, and if your heart is pure and your heart is in the right is in the right state of mind, so to speak, then God will be able to anoint you. God will bless you, and God will share all the deeper things of Him. Let's turn to Mark ten. As we're talking about motivation and understanding good intent versus evil intent or godly intent versus evil intent. Mark chapter 10 and we're going to start in verse 13. Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Underline that. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid hands, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. So what does that have to do with good intent, having godly motivation to do the things that God wants us to do? Well, what is it about a child that makes them learn, makes them build trust, okay? It's the relationship. It's the innocence of a child that can't think concretely to be able to, to, to reason. They think it's, you know, it's all about me. It's all about me. And so anytime you're raising a child as a, as a parent, you recognize that. And through the time that you're raising that child, that child builds a level of trust with you that they don't have with anybody else. So when you tell a child, hey, come here, the child doesn't stand there and just look and just say, yeah, I'm just going to stand right here because I don't know you and I don't know who you are and you might try to harm me, so I'm not going to go over there. They'll come to you. If a stranger tries to call them over, what do they do? They step back. 
right? They'll stand there, they'll they'll look kind of funny at the person, or like my 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 son will do, is he'll just kind of back up and just grab my leg or something like that, or he'll grab my wife's leg and he'll kind of just put his head down and he'll just back up a little bit because he's unsure and he's going to us because he knows that we provide a a place of safety for them, okay? And then over the years, as you start growing up as a child and you you start developing this deeper relationship with your parents, because now it's I can think more concretely now. Now I can ask questions about things and really try to understand, you know that no matter how old you get, that your parents will never put you in a place of actual harm. You know, if even one of my parents said, hey, Brandon, come in and talk to you for a second. I'm not going to sit there and wonder, like, what? what? Shoot me a text message and maybe I'll call you and I'm just going to go all the way over here and, and not listen to anything that you said. No, in my mind, I may be wondering, hmm, I wonder what they're going to, I wonder what they're going to talk about or what, what questions they have for me, but I'm not concerned. I don't have any fear inside my body about why we we need to go off and talk and talk privately, okay? So as a child of God, and what God is, Jesus is saying here, accepting the kingdom of God as a, as a little child, is you have to trust that God has your best intentions at heart, no matter what. So if he says, go do this, stop doing that, talk to this person, just like a child, if your parents said, hey, go pick that toy up, you say, okay, go pick up the toy. <laughs> you know, that's it, there's no questions asked. So as if you're accepting the kingdom of God as a little child, you're not asking questions to try to be difficult. Now, we all as kids at some point, you know, we, we, we get a little bit difficult and we start thinking more. We're like, wait a minute now. I might do this, but then you know the consequences of that. Amen. Okay. But, but as, a, as a child of God, you shouldn't be questioning God like that. All right. You shouldn't be, be using your, 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 your intellect to really try to figure out why is he doing this? How is he doing that? If he tells me that he's going to deliver me from this situation, but I've got all of this stuff that's happening around me, don't question it. You have to be like a little child and know, okay, he's going to do it. All right. Not once as a child did I ever think about, hey, I wonder if like, when I go home today and it's dinner time, if we're going to have food on the table. I wonder if I'm going to actually have clothes on my back. I wonder if it's this or that and that. Never did I have to worry about that as a child. So as a child of God, accepting the kingdom like a little child, you shouldn't wonder whether or not your bills are going to be paid. You're going to be fed food, uh, food on your table, clothes on your back. You're going to have a job, etc. like that. All right. It's when you start growing up and you become a more concrete thinker that you no longer accept the kingdom of God as a little child, but now you start to reason. So it's going back to kind of that that that, that child mindset, if you will, um, of just understanding that God has your best intentions, or has nothing but good intentions, and your best um, intentions at heart, and all he's going to do is guide you down the right way to help you be uh, successful. The other thing about being a child, um, accepting the kingdom of God like a child, is as you start to get older, if you will, or from a spiritual perspective, as you start to get more mature and you start coming up against a little bit more, um, you come up with situations that are a little bit, uh, a little bit harder to deal with, right? So you, you can deal with these little minor ones, but then there's kind of this next test and this next test and this next test, and things get a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder. What happens is, as a child with your parents, you build that deeper relationship, so you start being able to talk about things that you wouldn't talk about to just some random person on the street, okay? So when you accept the kingdom of God like a little child with, with, with God, and you're starting to kind of talk with him and you're just sharing things with him, you over time start building a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper relationship with him to where him, as your father, what he can do is he can just come and start talking to you about things and say, hey, you know, 
when you go over to that place tomorrow, you might want to look out for this, 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 and this. And the route you should take is this and go over here. If a child doesn't want to have a relationship with their parent, is that parent going to really be able to guide them the way that they want to? No, because the child is not going to listen. The child is going to rebel, and they're going to go off, and they're going to do whatever they want to do. So if you're accepting the kingdom of God like a little child, and you're, you're going to him and you're building this deep relationship with him, what that's going to do is going to, that's going to open up the door for him to talk to you when you haven't even asked him to, okay? Um, I think about my parents, you know, there's times they'll say, hey, so Brandon, how's this, 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 and this going? I don't have to ask them permission to, to talk to me about something or to ask me. It's because we built that relationship over the years that we have a deep relationship and they can know when something's going on before I even say anything, you know? So that's, that's what it means to, to, to accept the, the the kingdom of God, just like a little, just like a little child. Amen. So again, good intent versus evil intent. Evil intent would be doing, using the things of God for your own purposes, for your own benefit, for deceptive purposes, versus good intent, which would be being able to develop a relationship with God and putting your heart and soul into understanding who he is and how he operates. There's nothing wrong with asking God why he does what he does, okay? He may choose to reveal that to you. He may choose not to reveal that to you. But if you're talking to him and and your heart is in the right place and it's just, Lord, I I, want to understand, but I'm having a hard time with this. I don't know why you have me walking through this fire. I don't know why I've got all of these things going around. If it's his will to share it with you, he will. But what you're showing him is that, Lord, I want to learn about you. And this is, I don't know uh, any other way other than to ask why. Okay. So good intent versus evil intent. Good intent again, doing, um, learning about God for his purposes so that you can be victorious based off of what he has planned for your life. Motivation also requires, in order to do what God, uh, what God's will is, you also have to recognize that you have to do it no matter what anybody else thinks. So turn to Luke chapter 2. And let's go to let's go to verse thirty-nine. Luke chapter two, verse thirty-nine. I'll wait for everybody to get there. Luke chapter 2, verse 39. Okay. So when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child, being Jesus, grew up and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their, among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. 
Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they saw saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I uh, have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. When I was a child growing up, I remember Saturday mornings. First thing I wanted to do was get up and turn on cartoons. I didn't think about eating. I didn't think about taking a bath, taking a shower, brushing my teeth, let alone changing my clothes. Get up in pajamas, go into the living room, turn the TV on, and there was a series of about four or five cartoons that, you know, we were going to watch. That's all I was focused on, okay? Um, I know my parents wanted to do other things, but in my mind, I wasn't comprehending that I want to go do what they want to do. In my mind as a child, it was I want to go and watch cartoons, Okay. Jesus here, at 12 years old, his focus was, I got to go do my father's will. I don't care what everybody else is wanting to do. I need to go ahead and I need to go and do, and do God's will. And the interesting thing is that um, Joseph, and it said Joseph and his mom, didn't even understand what Jesus was saying. So when you're doing God's will, no matter what others think, you have to go and do it. All right? I don't understand for the life of me, and I love sports. Football is my favorite, but I love mostly, mostly all kinds of sports. I can't for the life of me understand boxers. I don't. What, what's so fun about getting in a ring with some boxing gloves and letting somebody punch you in the face? I, I just don't get it. I can't wrap my head around that. And to think that they don't actually truly dislike each other, they say it's a sport, I, I don't get it, you know, and then they shake hands afterwards, but I'm sorry, if you punch me in the face, I'm not shaking your hand afterwards, you know, I mean, that's, that's the reality of it, okay, you know, so I don't understand the motivation behind boxers to get in the ring and to get into the fights, same thing with Ultimate Fighting Championship, you know, which is even more dangerous, I don't understand what's, what's, what their motivation is behind that, what's the passion that they have to get into a ring and fight another man and potentially lose their life, now as a Somebody that plays football, I can talk all day long about why I love football and, and what my motivation is behind that. But people that don't understand your motivation won't understand why you do what you do. So when it comes down to following God, you have to recognize that people aren't going to understand that. And they may not want to understand that. But regardless of whether or not they understand it, you still need to proceed and do God's will. All right? What would have happened if Jesus would have said, yeah, I'm 12 years old, I know all these things about God, and I've got all this wisdom. And I think I'm going to go play with the donkeys instead. What if he would have done that? Okay. What if he would have decided every single point in his, in, in his life, when everybody was coming against him, if he just said, you know what, it's going to be a lot easier if I just go ahead and I do this and I can become like everyone else. Where do you think we would be today? We would be in a whole mess, a huge mess, if he would have done that. But he didn't. He said, no, this is my will. You, this is my father's will. You may not understand it, but this is what I have to do. Okay? So anytime anybody questions you on your faith and, and why you're doing what you're doing, recognize that it doesn't matter how much you explain it to them. They won't understand it if you just say, well, God told me to. 
Okay? And have you ever had anybody that you told that to? You said, well, God told me to do this and told me to do that. And I see some of you laughing. So I think we, we've had that situation. And people just kind of look at you and they're like, yeah, we're never going to talk again because you're going to cuckoo. You know, I'm just going to, yeah, you know. And they'll just kind of go their, they'll, they'll go their own separate way. But it doesn't matter. You don't have to. You don't have to get into a lot of details around it. You can just say it. You don't owe them any deeper explanation. You don't owe them a conference call or a meeting somewhere where you're going to sit here and come up with all these PowerPoint presentations and really talk through, well, this is how I got to where I am right now. This is my life story. And this is why God is good and all. You don't have to do that unless obviously God tells you to do that. But you don't have to get into these deep explanations because it doesn't matter what you say. They won't get it. They will get it if they bring themselves to a point of understanding that they need to start following God and they need to have a relationship with Him, then they'll get it. But until that, they're not going to get it. So you can say it until you're blue in the face. They're not going to get it unless unless the Holy Spirit reveals to them, reveals to them that they need to be following uh, be following God. All right. So Jesus was focused, and he was ready to go about uh, God's business, uh, and that's why, and, and obviously we, we won't get into scripture today about the rest of Jesus' life and all the things that he had to, he, he had to deal with, um, but that's the reason why Jesus continued to just start talking about God the Father. That's why Jesus performed all the miracles, and that's why he allowed himself to be crucified on the cross. And I say allowed because um, he didn't have to do that. By an act of his own will, he decided to do that, okay? So again, Doing God's will, no matter what others think, is very important to have in terms of having good godly motivation to do what God calls you to do. The last thing we're going to look at here is you have to separate yourself from the world when God calls you to do something. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we're going to go to verse 16. Uh, Actually, let's do verse 14. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all, uh, all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and his custom was he went in, uh, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, "The spirit of the Lord Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives." And recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to, uh, back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious, gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? <clears throat> Verse 23. He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have, uh, whatever we have, heard, uh, whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, 
do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Underline all of that. Assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three, de- three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman and the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down off the cliff. Then passing by, uh, then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So here, Jesus was saying that you're not going to be accepted in your own city. So I want you to think about something. That time you decided to follow Christ, and you said, all right, I'm going to commit to this 100%. All right? A little nervous about it, but I'm going to commit to this 100%. How many of your own people are still around today in the same relationships that you had with them before? Because as soon as you make that decision to follow Christ, and you start changing what you do on Saturday evenings and Friday evenings and where you change, how you change, where you guys are going to meet up um, on the weekends, all of a sudden they start looking at you a little bit funny. And they say, wait a minute. We just went, you know, two weeks ago to this place and we had a great time. How all of a sudden you just make this change and now you don't want to go with us? Okay? It's because they don't understand the commitment that you made to Christ. And then they'll start, "Eh, yeah, he doesn't want to go with us. It's all right. Then they'll call you up again. Hey, we got this great party. We should go take a look at it. Nah, it's okay. I'm going to stay home. I got to get up early. I got church in the morning. You got what in the morning? Church. You go to one of those things? Yeah, I do. Uh, Okay, I'll check with you next week. Over time, they do this over and over again until at some point they get the message that, no, I'm not doing that anymore. And what they will do is they will blame you for breaking up the group. When it wasn't you, it was them. Because instead of them accepting you for who you are, the way you're accepting them for who they are, you're just saying, I don't want to do that anymore. We can still be friends, but I'm just not going to do that anymore. They end up turning their backs on you. Now, you're no longer part of this group, even though maybe you started this group, and you know maybe you were the head of the group and you were the leader. But now, all of a sudden, they're saying, you change. You're not the same. I want no part of you. All right? Think about family members. All right? Some of them will disown you because of your belief in Christ. All right? Some, of, some people will have, you know, a million friends on Facebook and, you know, all those other social media sites and everything like that. But then as soon as you make the decision to follow Christ, the friends list is, it shrinks. Why? Because they don't like the godly postings that you might be putting up there. So when we're talking about motivation, the question really is, are you motivated to follow God, to do what he, wants to do, what he wants you to do? Or are you still holding on to how many people are in, your, are in your inner circle, so to speak? How many friends you have? How many contacts you have in your, in your phone list? How many people you actually know? Okay? Is it that cool thing to be able to say, oh, yeah, you know what? I know so-and-so. Yeah, he's the head of the so-and-so department, and he can do this, this, and that. You need anything, give him a call. Tell him I sent you, and he'll drop what he's doing at the, at the, at the drop of a dime and help you out. Or is it better to be able to say, 
Yeah, you know, but what I, I don't know what to do about that, but what I'll do is I'll keep you in my prayers. I'll put you on my prayer list. I'll talk to my prayer warriors, and we'll all keep you, we'll all lift you up in prayer. All right? I had somebody come in my office the other day and just said, you know, they said, I, I, I know, and they didn't quite know how to say it, um, but they said, I know you pray. Would you mind praying for this two-month-old because here's what's going on? And I said, absolutely. And I said, what's the, what's the child's name? Gave me the child's name, told me about the situation. And I did. That night I ended up praying for that, praying for that individual. They didn't know what to ask. They didn't know how to ask. But they knew something that, that, that they can come to me and say, I don't know what it is, but I need, I just know I need help. Don't know how to ask. I have nothing I can do. And so I told the individual, I said, absolutely, I'll pray for them. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll get the prayers going for, for everybody that I know to help join in with this. And we'll lift, the, per- we'll lift the, the, the little baby up in prayer and pray that everything works out well. Come to find out the other day, things are actually looking on the up and up, thank God. Okay? All right? So it's one of those things that, again... I can say, well, you know, I think I know somebody in the medical field, and here's what they usually say, and I can start telling them all of that, or I can just simply say, yeah, I'll be, I'll be happy to pray for them. Because I know at the end of the day, it's not about what the medical field says. It's about what Dr. Jesus said. Okay? And if you read the Bible, you see all of the miracles and wonders that he worked. And if you take that and you share that and you compare that to a science book, there's no way in the world that should have happened, right? How could he feed 5,000 people with just some bread and a couple of fishes? Doesn't make sense, right? But he did it, right? How is it that he could be crucified on the cross and then walk around the streets with holes in his hands and in his side to people and then get transfigured in front of people's eyes as well? Science doesn't say anything about that. Right? So why is it so hard to believe it? Well, because the science book doesn't say it. But the Bible is way more real than the science book, anything, anything else. Because not only is it a history of events that actually occurred, it also tells you about things that are yet to occur. All right? And some of these things that we see that are happening right now. So if you really, really, really want to understand if you are motivated to do what God calls you to do, you've got to step back and say, if I walk through this world by myself because everybody hated me, am I okay with that? Okay? Because you have to separate yourself apart from the world. Jesus said, while you are in this world, you are not of the world. All right? So if you're going to sit there and act like the world and do all the things that the world does and not step out and say, no, I, that's not who I am anymore. I'm a child of God, and therefore I'm going to stand over here. And if there's nobody else standing around me, that's all fine and well. I'm going to stand right here. That's what you have to do. And what you, rec- and what you don't realize, too, is that when you stand over there, you're not standing alone. Amen. You're never alone. All right. What, uh, it was Elisha that said, um, pray God that, that their eyes may be open. And what did they see? They saw the chariots of fire around them. All right. So if you think about that, no matter what you do, You've got chariots of fire. You've got angels that are around you all the time watching out for you and, 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 and keeping the enemy from attacking you. You'll realize that even though it may seem like physically you're alone, you're not really alone no matter what. I don't know if you guys remember back when was it, they had the Occupy Wall Street movement that was happening. Um, and here in Salem at that time, I would take the bus to, bus to work. And during that time of the year, it was pretty dark. You know, I got to work at 6.30. So I had to walk by um, where all of these campers were actually camping out. Usually I had my headphones on and had some good Christian music playing. And I remember this one particular morning as I was walking through there, because the numbers, while they weren't as big as some other, um, some other cities around the nation, the numbers were getting pretty large. And as I was walking through this particular area, people were waking up 
up and I can see them looking and you know they're kind of talking because if you're walking in that area in a suit and tie, typically that means you work for you work for the government. So they say, oh okay, this must be a government worker there. And as I'm walking through and I'm just listening to my music and I'm praying. And I see these people just kind of looking at me, and they're, they're wanting to say something, and, and it doesn't look like they had good intentions. I can distinctly feel this large presence behind me, just saying, keep going. And I can just feel that whatever was behind me was covering me, and I knew that it was an angel that was behind me saying, don't worry, just keep going, these people aren't going to harm you. The very next day, they were all gone. Okay, So even though I was walking through there by myself, I could feel God's presence behind me saying, don't worry, I've got your back. And I knew that I wasn't alone. There's many times I've gone into meetings where I know that, oh yeah, here we go, I've got to deal with these people again. It's like, oh man, Lord, if there was just a way for them to cancel this meeting, you know, that would be so great. And checking my email, even as I'm walking up to the conference room, it's just, maybe there's a cancellation and no, there's nothing. And then I'll pause for a second and just say a quick prayer. And I could just feel God's presence around me. Don't worry, you're not alone. You might be the only one in this meeting that says no, or might be the only one that says yes, but do not worry, you're not alone. And when I'm in those meetings, and if I give my point and say whatever it is that God wants me to say, usually that's when I find out somebody will come to me later on and say, I am so glad you said that because I don't have the courage to say something like that, but now I do. Thank you for saying that. So you're never, never really alone. So if you step out and do what God wants you to do, say what God wants you to say, you will see that you're not alone. And there's many other people that don't, um, that also are thinking the same thing, but for whatever reason, they don't have that Holy Spirit gumption to be able to just go ahead and say it. And God's not going to force you to say something. So you've got to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to say this, back me up, and then just go say it. Because what he will do is later on and say, yes, I'm proud of you. That's what I needed you to do. And you never know how that might impact somebody else's, how that might impact somebody else's life, okay? Noah, when he decided to build the ark, was also ridiculed by everybody that was around him. Rain? What is that? What is this rain thing you're talking about? You're building this big boat for what? And look what happened. Him and his family were actually saved, okay? I heard a pastor say, that following God at times means that you have to be willing to look foolish for a little while. And what he meant by that is that when God calls you to do something, it's going to be strange. It's going to seem odd. People are going to look at you like, what are you doing? Why are you? What? what is, that doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing that? And God wants to see, are you willing to step out and not worry about the, what the world thinks? And are you willing to worry about what I think? Because you may think you're looking foolish. But you have no idea what you're doing in terms of spreading my word and the fact that you're following me means that when I have something bigger to give you, it's going to be that much, it's going to be that much better for you and for those that are around you. So you have to be willing to not worry about how you look when it comes to following God because at the end of the day, you should be okay with the fact that God, if God is happy with you, it means that others are not happy with you. And if you're okay with God being happy with you, because remember who you're going to stand before on Judgment Day, it's not the world. They're not going to determine your eternity. It's God. So do you want the world to say, oh, man, we love you. You're the greatest person ever. And, and you want them to say all these great things about you because of what you've done um, as a human being versus what God wants you to do? Or do you want to stand in front of God on Judgment Day and hear him say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Amen. So 
in closing here, um, I pray that this message is a blessing to you, and I pray that everyone uh, can find their motivation in doing God's will and maintaining that because the times that are coming before us are going to require us to uh, find something to focus on, if you will, find that motivation so we can deal with the issues that are going that, that to come before us. Amen? So let's prepare to uh, honor God by collecting our tithes and offerings.